You're listening to The Echoes with me, Emily Andrew, the self-development podcast that explores personal stories, powerful tools, and an insight into the wide world of mental, physical, and spiritual health. Get ready to get curious, be inspired, and connect in. In this episode, we're diving into people-pleasing a topic that many of us can probably relate to, even if we haven't put the title onto it yet. I've known Kate for over a decade now, and at one point we were even set to live together before life decided I was going to be going in another direction. I feel really lucky that we're still in each other's lives, and I love the honesty and integrity that Kate approaches everything she does with. So without further ado, let's get talking about the power of self-validation from a self-confessed recovering people pleaser, also known as Kate Akello Tarrant. Thank you so much for coming on today. And I'm really, really excited. I think we've spoken before on your Instagram and it's a little bit of a full circle moment when we get together because we've known it well how long have we known each other it's probably been like 11 years since Mount View yeah it's definitely over a decade now I think decades are quite special oh my gosh over 10 years but in different capacities and yet we've kind of been moving in parallel with each other a little Mm. bit we've got very we've kind of gone very similar routes albeit for different reasons and for different motivations but um we've always kind of aligned in a way and it's really lovely when you meet a little a similar soul so um mm. no it's really it's really special I can't believe that it's been a decade it makes me feel ancient <laughs> mm, I know and I mean back then we were both at Mount View we both were training to be actresses and yeah. now you know we're both in this kind of mental health space which I think actually is very appropriate for both of our journeys but also with the topic that you were coming to talk about it actually links so much into acting that I I found as well um because you're going to come and talk about people pleasing today and that kind of validation from other people give give us a little brief teaser before we get into who you are and and what you do you're right absolutely I think it's about the maybe being misunderstood especially in a career or as a personality and therefore creating personas sometimes to bridge gaps so for me, since I was a child, I have always wanted to keep the peace. I've always wanted to keep others happy and I've always wanted to be liked. Now we'll probably go deeper into that later on. But I think that actually that's then spiralled into who I very much am as a person and the career path that I took. Um, but because I chose that career path, as you said, to be a performer and to be an actor, a lot of people mistake that with a lot of confidence and a lot of self-validation and a lot of presence, which actually the opposite was true for me. So it's now going into adulthood and experiencing motherhood um, that's really made me challenge and unpick that and work out who actually is it that I'm trying to please? What am I actually trying to achieve? And why do I find it so incredibly hard being true to myself or standing by my own voice when actually deep down I know that that's that's right? So it's kind of unpicking that and hopefully um, in doing so it may resonate with other people as well because I can spot a people people pleaser a mile off because sometimes it does it takes one to know one but there are it presents itself in so many different ways and um I think until you're forced into a position where 
it's then starting to affect your mental health and your relationships with those around you. Um, quite often we can just sweep it under the carpet and just, again, keep placating until it feels like it's gone away. But it eats up at us so much. And so I think that it's important that we have a little toolkit that we can draw upon to try and fight some of those urges and to just find it's a confidence really, but it's more, it's deeper than that. It's like, a, it's just a trust and an acceptance of self and not needing that to come from others. I can't wait to get into it. I cannot. <laughs> so for people that haven't come across you or your work, how, how do you describe yourself? Who are you and what do you do? Cool, blimey. I am a classic jack of all trades, master of none. (laughs) Um, I'm, yeah, so I guess I'm a creative at heart is the best way to describe it. I'm um, an established actor and voice artist and have been for the decade (laughs) that I've known you. And I love it, like wholeheartedly love it. Um, It's an incredibly challenging industry, but my only goal was to have it as my kind of full-time job um it was never for fame it was never for recognition really it was just to be able to do what I love every single day or as many days as I can obviously you can't do it every day in our world but to know that that was my kind of that was I could proudly say it was my job and I reached that and I was happy and then um I fell pregnant with my first and I'd planned that I knew that there would be a slight pause um on my industry when I had children and actually having children was paramount it trumps everything to me so I always see acting as a career a lot of people will say to you oh you know but what about your career like you've built it up to this point like you know what's going to happen when you have kids you're going to have to step out of it like what if it's not there when it's got back and I always found that a very easy question to answer because for me motherhood trumped all so actually I felt the same way about it as someone would in a nine-to-five office job that was very excited for maternity leave I I was taking a step back from a career but if that meant that was the end of it, then motherhood trumped all. Um, but very coincidentally, um, just as I was prepared for that pause, the entire world hit pause because literally as I birthed my baby, that pandemic hit its peak. And so it was very, very peculiar because it wasn't just me that had stopped. Everything stopped. Um, and I was just kind of left in this little bubble with a newborn and really not knowing what was going to happen to this industry that I knew and loved so well. Um And now anyone that is a creative soul will know you need to have some sort of outlet. Um, My Instagram page, for people that follow me on Mrs. OT, know that I kind of see it as a public journal. So that is another way that I use my, you know, creative creativity, I suppose, or journaling. I suppose it's public journaling to to um, portray that. But in COVID, that platform didn't exist. And I was just really aware when I was made aware of the lack of support for mums and now this what I don't believe it was just because of what was happening I think it was emphasized by that but I think that the services are so so stretched I was meeting mums and I was experiencing it myself that were going through incredibly tough times and were being put on waiting lists of like nine ten months a year plus So the help that they needed there and then was just not readily available. Um, So just being me and not being able to sit on my hands, um, I used the pause of my career to train as a breastfeeding specialist. And I also trained um, as what people call a doula. I call it a birth 
and postnatal antenatal advocate um, for personal reasons, um, just to support women when they were at their most vulnerable um, and continue to do that for two years following to a point where it then kind of equalised with my voice and acting work. Um, but then again, you meet people and you hear their stories and you hear their ex- their own experiences. And I realised that it was this was so much more than just support required on maternity leave. It went well beyond and past that. And so I started to think about what I could do. Now, by this point, I'd kind of built up a little community. Mrs. O.T. had kind of begun. Mrs. O.T. at that point was a breastfeeding specialist and a doula. Um, but I just saw these women and I could hear, you know, the conversations that were happening. And I thought there's there's a platform here and we can enhance this. And am I going to be the one to do it? In acting, we have a saying that if the work's not there, you've got to make it. And so I kind of copied and pasted that and said, you know, if this support isn't there, then if I can, maybe I can make it. So Mrs. O.T. is now more of a community. I still do do private client work for people in my local area, but it's expanded to um, events across the capital for um, mums, just for mums, um, with a focus on maternal mental health and well-being. Um, that comes in a whole variety of formats. So it's not like these big, big, deep therapy sessions. Some of them might be, and some of them might align with that. But actually, therapy and therapeutic relief can come in millions of different formats. And so we have wonderful industry industry professionals coming in to give mums a night off, really. We don't have kids, um, not because we don't love kids, but because we so often get time to self. So it really is carved out just for the mum, to take a step out and to really feel like their mental well-being's being nurtured in a room full of like-minded women, which range, by the way, across all generations of motherhood. So you have people that are new mums, but you also have people that are grandmothers. Like, motherhood doesn't just stop. And I was just so surprised at how the kind of generic support for mums, which is all applicable. I always hasten to say this because... I think that all the support that is there for mums before having a baby while they're pregnant and during maternity leave, I think there's absolutely a place for it. I don't think that that should ever be quashed. I will always champion that as much as I can, but it's, it kind of almost stops really as soon as people go back to work and they can no longer attend daytime events and they can no longer shift things. So I think this is, this is more the kind of the continuation of that and recognizing that, we still need support no matter what stop on the mum train we always say we're at um and we always need mental health support whether it's our child's first day at school whether it's our child's last day at school whether it's our child going to university whether it's our child having a child for the first time or for the mums that have never had children in their arms I always find that so compelling and I find that such a hard narrative because you know we we think of a mum and we think of what motherhood is um and we have this kind of like societal definition but actually you can be a mother and have known motherhood and not have physical children so where are the where's the space for mums that have acquired children through their partners so maybe they've missed all of the kind of mum and baby groups at the beginning but how do they then find their community after that or the mums that unfortunately have maybe fallen pregnant and lost that baby they've they are mums they've they have children they might not be here present with us but they're children so it's creating a safe space where it's saying if you identify with motherhood this is a space for you um 
And so, yeah, so that's that's where we're at. And we do lovely events, sometimes online, which means it can be more accessible across the nation. Um, but the in-person events are in London, but with a view to kind of scale up and hopefully be accessible to an area near you. <laughs> so mm. that's where I'm at. But there's, you know, actors have always had a plethora of jobs. So I could also list a million other different things that <laughs> we do to fill our time and day to day. But I would say that they're my they are my babies on top of mm. my other babies. Yeah, because I think that being able to expand that idea of what people think a mother is, is a really important one. And you've always kind of said that the work that you do is in addition to everything that's already out there. It's not in, in replacement of, it's in addition to. And I think that approach in itself is such a breath of fresh share because it's not about competition. It's not about valuing or devaluing somebody's role. It's just about being able to basically say like, I see you and you're welcome here. And I think that that is such a beautiful thing to be able to put out into the world with the work that you do. But you know, it kind of has to be that way or else I am then being contradictory to my own ethos. If you are promoting women supporting women or mums supporting mums or whatever those trending hashtags are um then you kind of have to stay true to that like I'm not if I go oh I'm all about women supporting women but I'm trying to like override a market that already exists I don't think that it I don't think that aligns very well I think it's recognizing that actually together we can create the kind of full spectrum of support that mums deserve and so again, like my people pleasing nature, I was nervous to even come out and say, I'm doing what I'm doing. Because there are groups that I very much treasure and have attended myself that I was worried were going to come back and be like, oh, but, you know, we're already here. And so you're taking my clients or but I never would, because actually, they're getting two vastly different things. But if they need the support that you're providing, and the support that I'm providing, then who are we to stop them from accessing that in the same way that if they don't need what I'm giving them but they need what you're giving them I'm not going to be like resentful for the fact they're not I just think we've we just need to make sure that it's all there motherhood is one of the most vulnerable times in our life and I just think if we I don't want to think of women sitting on a waiting list where they can find that community available on their doorstep or they can find that support however that looks like and I'll never take it personally if it's not what I'm presenting but if it is if they need that then my god I'm going to make sure I'm there I think it's really interesting that you have that viewpoint as well because you it's so opposing to the acting world because the acting world is always thought as this kind of cutthroat world where everybody is against each other and it's you know there's only one part and you've got to get it and have you always had that mentality of everybody and everyone together or do you feel like it's something that you've gained with age and experience? Um, I think there's a combination of both. Um, I always said that if I ever got an award, my my speech would start with something like, you know, I'm a mixed race girl. I've got an African dad. I've got a mum who's white, but also blind. And I've got a gay brother. So when it comes to discrimination and bias, like that just doesn't exist in my world. It never has because I've been brought up in this hugely diverse and all encompassing, all accepting household. So I can't imagine people's um, 
desire or motivation to be racist. I can't imagine why people would um, call out disabled people and I can't imagine why people would be in any way homophobic because that was my reality and that was my normal. So I think I've always been inclusive and I've also been on the receiving end of, you know, I can be very open-minded, but I also was a mixed race girl growing up in Newcastle at a time where I was the only mixed race person in my class. And so I've also, I know what it's like for someone to isolate you. So in terms of my own moral compass, yes, I will always be as inclusive as I possibly can. Um, because I know what it's like to to feel kind of sidelined. But I do think that there has been a kind of huge learning curve as well, because you're right, you know, the acting world is so brutal and it's so cutthroat, but there's kind of, I guess there's little things that you grow up with in life, like something that's always been drilled into me from the women in my family is what's for you won't go by you. And I don't think I would have got through the performance world without having that being replayed to me over and over in my head and it's still what I have to say to myself when things give me a knock um and as you get older there's more of a chance to reflect isn't there so when you're younger when things don't go work out you've not got that much of a comparison so you just think oh my goodness I'm failing or it's it's terrible and everything's going to go wrong and I don't deserve this or I'm not good enough or I've not trained hard enough or I should have learned that better or I shouldn't have had my script in my hand even though they told me that I can do it with a script like you can chastise yourself a lot more because you've not got comparisons but I do think that now being in my 30s I can look back and say all the time I can visually see all the times that it didn't work out it did if that makes sense like they it it somehow balanced itself out it's somehow I've got to where I am and actually everything did line up as it was supposed to better opportunities came or something happened that would have meant that the opportunity that I was devastated about missing would have been actually a really tricky thing to navigate and so the more hindsight that I get it it helps me actually completely let go of things a lot faster than than I would have um maybe a decade ago or when I first started out in the industry because it was it was it was so competitive and also they they're not notorious for being very uh nurturing of one's mental health in the acting world it they are they can be really cutthroat I've been in rehearsal rooms um and shows that quite frankly I've been seconds away from leaving um I've had my agent on the phone asking do I need to make that phone call because of the way that they're talking to you I've had racial discrimination I've had um I've been patronized beyond belief which is weirdly one of my biggest triggers I can't stand being patronized um and I've, you know, I've had people asking me to thank them for my career, saying that, you know, you wouldn't be here if I hadn't given you these opportunities. And I think they can, when they're coming from voices that are respected in that world, even for someone that can, you know, drill in what's for you won't go by you, that's more personal. And those things were the things that I think I found harder to unpick because I couldn't understand why they would say something without motivation the kind of like whole no smoke without fire so maybe I thought maybe I am being ungrateful or maybe I should be submissive because you've got me in this room and therefore I should be grateful to you and actually that took me a little bit longer to go actually I should have like now me now I would have left that show halfway through the rehearsal process but I was terrified of how it would impact my career but actually I think the impact on mental health is far more important (laughs) but you don't you don't Mm. see that until you you have the repercussions so yeah some some of it's innate and some of it's definitely learnt and still very much learning. I still have knee-jerk reactions to things and I have to 
talk myself out of them. So we're, we're still very much on that journey. I think anybody who has been in, you know, the acting environment, but obviously this spans out way much, much further. There is an approval that's needed from like it's an external approval whether that's physically standing on stage and having people clapping because you've done yeah. well or if it's you know somebody telling you or just like you know the nod it's that is something that is quite universal and I think there are certain types of people that are drawn into the industry because they need that validation they need that approval and you could probably look at most of the creative world and see a room full of people pleasers um and many people will say you know well that's the drive that's that's what I that's why I'm I'm as successful as I am or that's why I have got to where I've got what is your view of people pleasing in terms of you know the good and the bad where is it surfaced in your life to make it something that you have decided to start to unpick and look into Good question. Um, so taking it right back in terms of how I think I developed my people-pleasing tendencies, um, definitely started in childhood and it goes back to that kind of like not fitting in. When you stick out like a sore thumb from day one, you're already on a kind of subconscious mission to blend in. Um, so I just used to read people and it's still true now actually is in that people that know me well find it very surprising that I have really bad social anxiety. I'm terrified for first meets. I'm terrified for walking into a room full of people that I don't know, because for me, it's all about the first impression. And I'm always assuming of myself that I'm going to give a bad first impression um, because I haven't known that person long enough to read them. Now, what I mean by that is when I was a child, I would actually seem very, very reserved for a while, albeit I was, when you knew me, I was very, very hyper and very, very wild. Um, I used to watch people and I used to study them and I used to work out exactly what they liked and what made them tick and what made them laugh. Mainly, actually, as a child, I used to see what made them laugh. Um, And then I would study that until the point that I felt like I knew it quite well. Again, this wasn't really conscious. It was just a habit that I kind of picked up. And so when I did finally speak, I knew relatively like 80% that they were going to be interested in what I had to say. But actually, I was just mirroring. I was just mirroring themselves Mm. back to them. And uh, people's egos are really drawn to that. (laughs) Mm. Um, Had you had an experience where anything had actually happened in terms of being rejected? Or was it kind of almost because of the, the way that you looked being different? Like... Was there an experience or was it kind of more subtle than that? No, I think I think there were subtleties in terms of sometimes experiences can be as surface level as looks when you join mm. a new school for the first time. Kids aren't shy. They st- like they'll stare at you. And if there's something that they're not used to seeing, they they're not shy about it. They're not adults are very coy and you know, as Londoners in particular, we keep our heads down, but kids are just they they say it as it is I remember that I said once to um funny what your core memories are but I remember being so excited because there was a girl in my class called Megan that had always used to talk about going to brownies and I joined the same brownies as her and so I was skipping into school to tell her that we could go together on that Tuesday evening I was six 
and um I came running in and I was like oh my gosh Megan I was like I've joined brownies too like I'm gonna come to your brownies and a guy called Mark like pushed me <laughs> pushed her out of the way and was just like no you're in brownies and Megan's in whiteies <laughs> and I was just like oh he was like no one's gonna come to yours <laughs> and I was like oh and I think again because I'd come from this like really diverse household I was almost cocooned in that that was such a rogue comment for me but it just it kind of solidified that the looks that I was getting were because I was standing out to people. Now I'm sure there was other elements, but for some reason that one was always stuck in my mind. Um, so yeah, there were, there were judgments. And I think as I got older, I, you know, you have conversations with your parents and, you know, my parents being an interracial couple back when they started dating was like very, very taboo. It was very, it's not in the same way that you'd see it now in the streets so they'd had to overcome their own hurdles and were quite open as a family. So they were quite open in expressing them. Even my grandparents, who are now, you know, very liberal in that sense, at the time they were terrified as to what it was like for their daughter to be dating an African. So I think that, you know, as time goes on, you, you, do, you do kind of become more aware. And so that behaviour maybe just then got exaggerated and it almost just became a way of life like I was not consciously thinking I need to do this to protect myself I just from a young age had been doing it and therefore I saw that it worked and saw that it kind of placated most people and then did that I never was particularly part of any friendship like obvious friendship groups in school um my actual true friends were often (laughs) individuals from the different groups um because I once I got to know them I actually gravitated towards them naturally um but I found you know clicks and all of that kind of stuff incredibly hard to navigate and very daunting and overwhelming and so I just kind of almost disassociated with my true self for pretty much all of school like I really don't when I look back at myself in school I really don't recognize who I am Um, I was crazy I was wild but it was like I just kind of became this class joker I don't even necessarily like that I don't think I liked that person but you know going to an all-girls school and girls can be really manipulative Um, and so I think there was elements of me that joined in with that and you know if someone responded well to that and I was kind of mimicking people that were doing it then that got a good response so I'd do that for a little bit and then if something happened that was funny and like I made someone laugh, I would just do it over and over again till suddenly I just, I just was terrified for anyone to almost notice that I was different, that I just did everything that I could to fit in. Um, but actually then made myself more different than ever. And that's, I think what I then had to unpick because then you go away to drama school and you kind of have an opportunity to present yourself as your true self again. But then, that was even more egotistical, that environment, and it was even more close-knit, and it was even more exposing, and so again, I kind of, I maybe had some more people that I trusted, but again, I was going, I've got another opportunity here, so these people don't know me from school, I don't like that school person, but like, who can I, who can I, who would I like to be, and again, it was maybe a kinder, more gentler version of what I created, but it was still not me, because i I couldn't possibly, I couldn't possibly let people see that, um, even though she's not that bad. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, that's, I feel where, 
my people pleasing tendencies have come from and then I think when you see it in other people I just always think you know like what's what's happened to get you here I know that you're not doing this because it makes you happy it's a form of self-protection and it's kind of questioning what what are you protecting yourself from and what are you and what really is the worst that can happen if you let that go and I think for me the worst that could happen is that it wasn't as bad as I thought and so I think that was what let me slowly unpick it um and accept that that's what I was what I was doing um and I think that you know anyone listening to this I think that really should be the first question. What's the worst that can happen? Are we talking about losing a couple of friends? Are we talking about losing a status? Is the outcome really as bad as we think? Or would it provide us with more peace just to give in and and and, and let go of all of these masks and all of these layers that we've built up? It doesn't have to be an overnight thing. It's really, really hard. It's really hard to do this. It's not like, a okay, tomorrow I'm going to be myself, but just slowly even doing like little challenges of let me stand my ground on this and live in the uncomfortable for a little and then maybe just go actually I thought this was going to happen but it didn't and maybe that can be the the catalyst to to be a bit more vulnerable a little bit more realize that it's not not as scary as we think I think it's so interesting as well and the fact you can tell that you've done some work on this because obviously you've taken it right back to childhood and I think there's in in matrix or in printing and in EFT but the the terminology is more in matrix when something and why this podcast is what it's called the echoes when something happens to us where we create a belief or a decision or whether we've had like an experience there is a part of us that is frozen in time so it's like that six-year-old you was frozen at that time and and what then happens is they call it kind of a belief stream or an echo stream yeah and because we have had this belief of you know whether it's I'm not good enough whether it's you know I need to protect myself whether it's you know I don't fit in whatever it is we start to attract the experiences that it's it's a bit like with our reticular activating system it, it filters out important information and the important information here is like okay well this is our belief so we will find reasons why and experiences to kind of uphold that and it gets stronger and stronger the the more years that you go through it and there are more examples more experiences you know all of those times where you molded yourself into different versions of you to kind of please other people to, to kind of keep yourself safe and protected. And and it is really difficult when you get to a point and it's like, hang on, this actually isn't really serving me and actually maybe it's making me miserable. Maybe I'm exhausted by trying to keep everybody else happy and I'm sacrificing my own peace for that. But being able to do that kind of work of that belief stream, those echo streams and being like, this was these were the moments. These are the moments that are important. These are the moments that stand out and being able to work through them that it's such a powerful piece but it's it's so much it's it's so hard it's so and I think anyone that has experienced needing that approval and that validation from other people or living in a way that perhaps isn't 
who that they truly are because perhaps they don't even really know who they truly are. It's such an empowering result, but the work is so difficult because it is there's so much to unpack. The work is exhausting, actually. Like it's mm. exhausting, and it's you're right. So the work that I did was um, CBT, and it was exactly what you said. It's all about those core beliefs. And somebody was basically, you know, listening to what I was saying and then saying back to me, so you fully believe this. You fully decided that this is a rule in your life. But to the point where you assume that that actually must be a rule for everybody. And it's not. It's something that is so ingrained in you that you would assume that the kind of rest of the world is living like this. And it was it was my realisation that it was something that I inflicted on myself that was a big wake up call because I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm living by a rule book that I'm dictating to myself, which means the only way I can change this is by giving myself permission to nobody else was mm. going to do that for me. I've created this rule book and it was firm. It was a really hardcore rule book. Um, and I think that I'm, I'm quite, I'm, I'm quite privy to guilt and I, I have a lot of empathy for people. And I think that I also, I also let that, um, guide my decisions um so not only standing out there was things that were going on at home um when I was growing up which I just you know it's so funny that people say to you like and I get this all the time and have all of my life and maybe you resonate but I've always been told that I'm so mature for my age and I'm so grown up for my age and oh you and well maybe not so much now, maybe it's equalised itself now. But when I was yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was always told, you know, and actually it was because in some kids' lives, they are, they have to deal with situations that children shouldn't have to deal with and therefore they're forced to grow up. But there's also, there's, a, there's an awareness when you're a kid, not that you've grown up quicker than you should, but that other people around you aren't necessarily going through that. And so I became quite um, adept at like hiding things. So another layer to this onion of mine was that I didn't want people necessarily to know what was going on in my private life. And so I kept everything very, very surface level. Um, and I think that that also created some like hard and fast rules. But then when people ever opened up to me about shared experiences or things that I was like oh my goodness you've been through that too I almost gave them like a free pass to <laughs> my empathy I suppose I think that people then start taking advantage of of your compassion um and I think that I then ended up becoming an overly compassionate person and I don't think there's any there's no shame in being a compassionate person but I think that people are easier to find it easier to take advantage of me and my time because having secretly or just quietly gone through my own hardships in life I think that if anyone ever says they need help then I will provide it and it often can get abused so I then you then have the layers of standing out and then you have the layers of going through stuff in private and maybe then becoming not just a people pleaser, but like just that shoulder that you want, ever, you don't want anyone to not have a shoulder, therefore you become that shoulder. And so that's mm. like another layer of people pleasing. So if you're, you know, that's just from another, another perspective of people pleasing. Um, and so then you kind of, all of these things actually feed in 
to the other. And so then they became my hard and fast rules that there are always people worse off than me and I must I must make sure that I'm always available to people because I know what it's like when you feel like there's nobody available to you. I must, like, if I've upset somebody, then I must be the person that's in the wrong. find it weird to say this, but um, we would mend things in quite an interesting way in my family in that these big things would happen and then everybody would... It was like, their, I suppose generationally the generations above us are very much the kind of sweeping it under the carpet generation that I refer to them as. And they're very stoic and they're very like, we move on. And I think that was maybe quite prevalent in my household in that these big emotional things would happen and they wouldn't necessarily be processed. They just suddenly 10 minutes later, everybody was back to normal. And that was very normal for me. And I think again, a hard and fast rule was like, I must always be open. Like I must always be the first one to amend things because I know when things don't get amended, how it affects me. And so all of these rules are coming from good places, I suppose. Like they're coming from like not wanting pe- people to feel the way that you do. But you can't actually maintain that forever. You can't always make everybody happy. And actually, then you then get people taking advantage of you. And I think that, again, that was another trigger point where I just thought I'm, I'm being contacted around the clock here, but I can't remember the last time that this person even asked if I was okay. So I think, um, yeah, unpicking the rules is exhausting. And but the the hardest part I found about it was it often involves a lot of boundaries with people that are in your life that you care about a lot. And you you can control what you do and you can control the boundaries that you set and what you're okay with. But you cannot control how they're going to respond. And I think that Mm. can be the exhausting bit because you may actually have to, like I said before, be prepared to maybe lose a couple of friendships to have momentary pauses in relationships with in some cases family members in some cases colleagues in some cases partners as you kind of re-establish this it's not even new, a new version of yourself it's you it's your it's your core self and you're bringing that mm. to the surface and people people may never have known that like <laughs> I don't think anybody knew the true me until a couple of years ago And there were some people that had seen through all of the stuff over the years that are still very prevalent in my life and didn't even flinch when I started to be a bit more myself. But there were some people that really, they were, it was like I just presented them with an alien and they were not cool with it because they needed me to be a certain person and I couldn't be that person anymore. And so I think there has to be an element of preparation of if you're going to do this, which I think everybody should do, I don't think anyone should ever hesitate doing it, but I do think there has to be an awareness of this the changes that that happen not so much just with yourself but the impact on those around you and I think that was that they were the hardest bits of unpicking those I must do this I must do that well what when I don't what's going to happen I think that people pleasing in in its essence is almost is a way of c- controlling the world around you because if you placate everyone around you if you make everyone happy around you then there is an element of being able to control an outcome you know if you're always that person who has the bag full of all the the snacks and the ibuprofen and the the paracetamol and you know the 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 bike kit and you know the tetanus jabs and you know whatever (laughs) like you've got all the stuff with you all the time you become needed you become somebody that people will gravitate towards and who will want to be around because you're useful and you know I'm 
most people pleasers are lovely people as well but that isn't because they're a people person that's because they're a compassionate person that cares about people but sometimes people pleasing when it is kind of really blown out of proportion it is an element of controlling the world around you and I think that that in itself is difficult because the remedy of that is is actually being able to put yourself into situations like you said that you don't have control over and you know you 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 never nobody ever has control or is responsible for somebody else's emotional reaction yeah it's not that isn't a thing somebody else's emotional reaction is their responsibility it's not yours and that's sometimes the hardest thing because when we have got people in our lives that react maybe in a volatile way or just maybe react in a way that makes us feel uncomfortable or uncertain the automatic response that we do is go right well I've got to make sure that that I can be sure about what's going to happen here. A hundred percent. It's the joy of actors having scripts and I script things in life. So it's going, the joy of a script is that you know what the journey of that character is. You know, the beginning, you know, the middle and you know, the end point. And so there's a huge security in that. And so it's easy to step into a character's shoes, for example. Um, And even in life, I don't know if anyone else does this, but I will practice conversations that I know I'm going to find difficult in my head. So I've already almost preempted the potential extreme reactions so that I'm not left in the lurch. I, 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 you know, it's, that's it. You're right. It's another element of control because you don't ever want to feel vulnerable and you don't want to feel like somebody's caught you out. So I will spend hours, literally hours. If I know that I need to speak to somebody about something, I will, write it down or I will literally just repeat words on my own in a room over and over and over so that I'm 100% sure with where I stand so that if they come back with any kind of curveball I'm prepared for it but that is also exhausting um and you can't you can't like you can't control it and you may feel prepared for it and that might provide you peace but there are infinite responses from people and therefore it's really you can maybe think you can predict that person because you do what I do and you've literally spent your entire life trying to read them and try to understand them but we we can't you're absolutely right and 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 then it hurts even more when it doesn't go to plan because then you think it's you then take it on as a personal well you take it on personally don't you you go well actually I've I've planned this out and I thought it would go this way and it hasn't so I wouldn't you know, past me or like recovering me, I suppose, would if a conversation didn't go to plan or they don't listen to me in the way that I need them to or they've decided that I mean something different to what I actually mean. My knee-jerk response is that it's, again, it's that's that's my fault for not delivering it properly and I haven't prepared properly or I haven't got it across. But actually, not everyone wants to listen. Like, not everyone's even fully listening like not they are they will sometimes in the same way that you've decided how you want that conversation to go so have they they also know that conversation's coming and they've decided that no there's nothing that you can say that will will change their mind so that self-blame that you then do for days later it's completely waste like it's a complete waste of energy because they decided they'd already they'd already made their mind up and they were going to be like that anyway and it's a complete them problem and you couldn't have done any more and you've tried to you've tried to you know rectify a situation in circumstances and some circumstances and 
it's yeah you can't and I'm I mean again that leads on I'm a complete control freak as well like a complete control freak luckily my husband's not here or else he'd like be running in being like I agree but I I kind <laughs> but it's again it's that's that comes from from needing it if you've if there's moments of chaos in your life you seek the antithesis you seek control if there's moments of uncertainty you seek certainty if there's moments of feeling trapped you seek escape people always ask why I'm on holiday so much it's not as complex as it sounds I I I thrive from need I thrive from escape I can feel trapped I can feel overwhelmed and so I seek the antithesis of that and so I think that um we're all guilty of that to some level from whatever you know whatever that kind of starting point is but there's healthy versions of it and there's unhealthy versions. And I think we need to start getting better at recognizing that I will always, I enjoy the escape. I enjoy the switch off. And I know that that works well for me and actually preserving my mental health. But I also know that on the flip side, I need to relinquish control sometimes because it stops me from having the smaller breaks within my life. So it's all very well having a holiday every couple of months and escaping completely. But sometimes I do need to let other people look after my children, for example, because I need to have smaller breaks in everyday life in order to recharge or else I hit burnout really, really quickly. Mm. Um, and I can't just be like, I'm going to just let myself be burnt out until a holiday in two weeks time because I will break. So it's recognising when, yeah, the, the opposite is is helpful and when it's not mm. And I think the, what you described in terms of, and obviously these are all very much like personality type, people pleasing, over like a control freak, um, you know, perfectionism, <laughs> like usually catastrophizing goes into that all or nothing thinking yeah. where everything is quite black and white. It, and the level of anxiety that all of that can bring to life is so overwhelming. So, you know, what started out as just trying to, and I'm talking in general here, I'm not yeah. talking about you, but like what started out as needing to the validation of others or needing to fit in or, or trying to protect oneself snowballs into life itself being the overwhelming thing that is hard to be part of. And, yeah. and a lot of people, their escape looks like drugs or yeah alcohol or you know eating we are trying to escape our own lives that we've built by trying to build our world around other people's happiness and not actually valuing our own and I think that the work in you being able to recognize whatever elements of that are that were there for you and you know looking at it and unpacking it and also doing the things that work and serve your mental health that is a really good example for other people that may be in that just overwhelming stage where it's like what is this <laughs> you know and I think something that will come up actually and I want to ask you about this is boundaries is a hard word for a lot of people yeah and how does that work like how for you do you how did you have to learn to set boundaries again to protect and preserve yourself I started with something that was really easy so that I could implement it relatively uh quickly but with but knowing it wouldn't have too much of a well actually it did have a bit of an impact but 
I just I'm notorious for saying yes to everything and so I gave myself a challenge to say no that week I knew that something would come up that actually deep down I didn't want to do or didn't have the capacity to do and I said I'm gonna actually say no and I started as basic as that um the first time I did it it was like it was like a a blip in the day like it it didn't even you know probably cross that person's mind again but for me it was monumental because it was the first time that I said no to something that I probably could have done I probably could have pushed myself a little bit further for I probably could have juggled my calendar or my diary to make something work but actually it was tricky and I said no for the first time so I think boundaries don't have to I mean you can I think you have to slowly work yourself up particularly if you're as deep-rooted as I was um it's it wasn't something that I could I couldn't flip this overnight or else it would have upset so I think it's about just slowly slowly doing little things and steps in that right direction so my no um that week felt easy but then the next time I said no it was met with a why and I wasn't expecting the why so some people are okay with no's and some people aren't and so when it comes to the why that's when you really have to stand your ground because that's most that was most likely the time that I'd be like oh actually hang on let me double check and I'd have gone okay maybe I can make it work but give me a give me a minute to work it out and it was the uncomfortableness of having to say do you know what I've actually really I've got so much on this week I've like I I'm barely getting to bed at night I'm working super super late and so whilst I will be at home during that time and I probably could nip out in the car I think that I'll be doing myself a a disservice um, and I think, again, like some people that are very, like for me, if someone said that to me now that I've done the work that I've done, I really respect people for saying that. But if you've always said yes to this person forever and ever, amen, people can be a bit standoffish. And I think I had to learn that that's a them problem. Like if you, if someone's openly saying that they're struggling and that they're at their, at their full capacity and you're disappointed that they're not going above their capacity for you that's a them problem it took me ages to say that like I it literally I would say it's recent I was feeling awful I felt guilty you know they I saw on their social media terrible that they hadn't been able to go and do the thing that they wanted to do and I knew that if I'd stepped up I could have facilitated that but also I crashed out that evening I was absolutely exhausted I went to bed like three hours earlier than usual and I I then had a baby, like, you know, a child that woke up through the night and I knew that that was the right decision for me in that moment. And so I think it's it's about going the world won't end. That person is still in my life. And actually, sometimes the people that ask a lot of you all the time, when they do hear that no, um, and you can, you're like, you're not, you don't have to deliver something unkindly either. I think that people think a boundary has to be like this revelation of over the past seven years you have asked me so many different things and I'm going to stand my ground and make you feel crap for all of the times that you've done that like it's not it's just about going let's let's not even think about that but I'm just being true to where I'm at right now and I'm going to be true to where I'm at going forward and so you don't have to call people out and sit people down and say you've used and abused me because actually I've allowed myself to be used and abused so let's but right now I'm, I'm putting a stop to that that's the journey that I'm on and sometimes you can even say that to people you can like people are more receptive to honesty and openness of I just I'm really like I'm actually really struggling and I'm I'm saying yes to way more people than I should 
And so if I'm if I take a step back for a little while, I just want you to know why. And sometimes that's all that people need to go. That's fine. So start start with little things that are easy to implement. What is the thing that is your Achilles heel? What is it that people always manage to win you over with? And what is something that you do frequently enough that you might actually be able to start making a shift on? Because that tends to be the the easiest one because there's lots of different you know receptive audiences to that and you can maybe start with someone that you think might take it a little bit easier than somebody else and just and just keep doing it and then start working into the bigger things um and that will again look different for everybody but for mine it was about doing things to like a ridiculously high standard and I still find that really hard because I notice if things aren't a hundred percent but actually you know, when you see that the world doesn't crumble when it's not 100%, it's okay. So I think just boundaries are, they're really talked about at the moment. And I think that, I think that they may be glorified into something that they're not. It's just, I think a boundary is simply you being true to where your capacity is at and where your headspace is at and honestly conveying that with the recipient. And that's it. And if someone wants to talk to you deeper about that, then they can. If you want, if you feel like in the beginning it's easier to be more open about it and tell them a bit more of where you're at generally, fine. But it should just then hopefully become a natural response that when you can do something, you will. And when you can't, you can't. And when you can make that person happy, you can. But when you can't, you can't like you can you can signpost too. like I often have it a lot of people that are ex-clients that I've supported will come it's why my number has to be private now unfortunately everyone that I call is like hello but it's because people I've called people for one appointment and then they've then been messaging me throughout the night you might have had this experience and it's not because I don't care for them it's not because I don't love them it's because it's three in the morning and I haven't got my work hat on and if I replied to every single person that needed help I would literally not be able like I wouldn't have any time left in the day and so my boundary was that is that I had to make my number private and so when I call people it's about that one-off and if someone wants to contact me via my email about something out you know separately I know that I can check that on my own hours it's not encroaching on my personal life and I can signpost so I'm not I'm not responding to women saying oh my goodness, like you've bothered me at three in the morning, how dare you? Or, oh my goodness, like we've had our appointment, like you need to book in for another one, like you shouldn't be asking me these things. I would just, the boundary is simply, you know where you can contact me if you have a question and either I will be in a position to help you or I will be able to direct you to somebody that can. And sometimes it's delegating, sometimes it's going, I'm actually, I'm not qualified for this. Working in the mental health world, I often find that sometimes friendships can cross boundaries. And so because they conceive visually that I'm an empathetic person, they will often maybe cross a line um, that maybe you wouldn't in friendship, I suppose, in other friendships, I suppose. And so I often have a lot of weight that's on my shoulders because someone's put me in a position whereby I can't concentrate on anything else that day because they've, they've, imparted some information with me or they've spoken particularly about like their mental health in such a way that I'm worried about their state of mind or I'm genuinely honestly worried about their life and for someone that's lost people and 
to not particularly pleasant ways that's that's very very triggering for me and actually they've mistaken the fact that I work in the mental health world as I am a professional trained to support them on that journey and and I think that um that can become really really tricky but again the boundary is being honest and saying I can see that you're struggling and I am here for you as your friend but I can't be there for you in that capacity and when it comes to things that are kind of that extreme they were really really hard because I remember thinking and saying to people that because they were going you know like you can't you can't you've, you've given everything you've really given everything you can't continue like this it's like it's now affecting your mental health in such a way because it's bringing back such traumatic memories and I remember being like but this isn't just a case of not picking someone's kid up from school this isn't just a case of you know not being able to bake some cakes for the cake sale this is a case of I'm thinking of I'm talking to you about potentially taking my own life and I'm saying I can't show up right now in the way that you need me to like I'm here and my inbox is open and my door is open and like I but I can't I can't provide the the therapy really that you need to 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 change this headspace and I just that was the they were some of the hardest boundaries it happened in a couple of instances actually and I just thought the the kind of payback would be if anything were to happen I know that my core beliefs would lead me to believe that I'd I'd not shown up or I'd let that person down and that was that yeah they were some of the most incredibly hard conversations and unfortunately impacted friendships because I think I was then scared to get close again because I was I was I was scared to be the person I would have 100 percent blamed myself if anything were to happen Mm. so there are some boundaries that are easier than others but again it's doing the work to know that you're not responsible for somebody else's state of mind particularly when you're coming from a place of of empathy and compassion and love and care obviously you're not a perpetrator or someone in a kind of abusive position you're if you, you can you can only be so much to somebody and there there may be the if you're in the industry or the world that I'm in there sometimes the boundaries that are the hardest to set but it's it's a progress and it's a learning and it's a and it's it's rewiring yourself to trust that you are doing enough and you are enough and you are giving but you can't we're not endless we're not endless cups of water that can just keep pouring and pouring and pouring even if our whole body wants us to be able to it's nobody there's not one person in this world that can keep doing that um yeah sorry that got quite quite dark and quite deep quite quickly but I think it just is the true nature of it all you know people think of people pleasing as this throwaway thing that you know it's just oh you know it's just trying to keep everyone else happy and it's trying to like do everything and be everything for everybody else but actually it goes so much deeper than that and I think that being a you know that is everything that you've said is valuable you know it's it's necessary and people will see themselves and resonate with it because it is quite a universal feeling and whether you're in working in in the mental health 
area or not there's a lot of times in life where we do feel responsible for somebody else and whether that be our family or our friends there is such a burden of responsibility and being able to acknowledge that it's possible to love and care for that person as well as not being responsible for them their mental state or their actions those two things are true at the same time yeah and that and being able to give yourself permission to acknowledge that and and kind of free yourself from the guilt that can kind of come with it is an important piece because otherwise we're just constantly giving up our own life battery and mental health battery to save everybody else and and that's when you get burnt out and I think that absolutely and just off the back of what you're saying there I think that um a lot of people that will, will be similar nature to me I think that we often show up for people and do a lot of listening but sometimes also not a lot of sharing so I've I've another kind of trait that I've had to learn is to be a bit more open about what's actually happening in my world. Um, it's really key with Mrs. OT actually, and I think that I've you know even if the, my community is not benefiting benefiting from it, I am. In that sometimes I think that people don't know that what they're saying to me is triggering, and sometimes it's also my responsibility to impart that information. Now you don't always have to go into detail, but. Now, this is a very strange story and a bit of a tangent, but when I lived in Fulham, we had neighbours upstairs that were um, really loud, like super, super loud. Um, they were Spanish and they used to call their family back in Spain like every morning um, to check in with them. And they used to do it with the windows wide open. So if it was hot and we had our window open in the bedroom underneath, like the first thing, like quarter past five in the morning, it would be like full volume. And I used to get... So irate. I used to always be lying down, counting down, ready to get ready, uh, to get angry. Um, because it was just, I just found it baffling that they were like cool with sitting out their window having a ciggy and just like shouting across the world. But important life lesson, because as I sat there getting angry and I let this go on for weeks and weeks and weeks, I suddenly realised and I was like, can I really get angry at them? Because for all they know, I can't even hear. Like they might, they might have thought, oh, well, it's been weeks now. And if, if no one said anything, then actually maybe they've got their window closed or actually I'm not as loud as I think I am. And so I said to them once, and it was, I, again, I don't really like confrontation. So it was a very uncomfortable conversation that again, I wish that I'd had so much sooner because it was actually relatively easy. I was just like, I'm really sorry, but our window's open too. And I was like, we've been woken up at like quarter past five every morning for however long. And I was like, I don't mind you being on the phone, but do you think you could be a bit quieter or maybe do it inside before going out? And they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you could hear. And it was a bit of an important life lesson in that as humans, so often we get angry at other people, but the other people don't know that we're angry about about it. And therefore they're not adjusting their behavior because they've got no idea that it's bothering anybody. And I think that we kind of have a responsibility to convey that. And then I think you can get angry. So I think if I had then had that conversation with them and said, I'm really sorry, but like, I can hear this and it's waking me up every morning. And they basically gone, 
not my problem and then continued to then me lying there in my bed in the morning getting angry I think is somewhat justified and so a bit of a strange tangent but bringing it back to this I think also if we are quite private people people are relaying all of this stuff to us because they maybe think that we're actually coming from a very stable place we're actually we're actually quite stoic you know hard-skinned people and because we're renowned for kind of supporting other people they just assume that that it comes easy to us and we haven't got our own triggers within that because we've never openly discussed them now I don't think anyone should have to go around and like openly discuss all their triggers because that would be quite frankly triggering for one another word but to be able to convey I really appreciate that you feel like you can come and talk to me about this safely I actually had a situation a couple of years ago where I lost somebody along the lines of what you've just said. So I find these conversations really hard to have. And I want you to be able to have this conversation with someone that isn't going to emotionally react in the same way that I am. It gives it then you've your your cards are on the table. You haven't got to say who that person was. You haven't got to say anything. And obviously, that's a very specific situation, but it was relating back to what I said before. But there are so many situations where I think that people do not know that it's affecting us. And that's another form of boundary where you can you can tell someone that it's affecting you without having to be explicit. You still might want to be a private person. There's still stuff that I have I will keep with me to the grave because, quite frankly, I don't want to talk about it. I might talk to a therapist about it. I might talk to someone completely out of the situation. But that person sitting in front of me in that moment does not need to know that information about me but they might need to know that that information exists because then they can perhaps at least have that in the back of their mind when they're saying these things to me and so then when I when they come to me again and I've already explained that I find that really tough it's easier to affirm that boundary because you've you've given them the platform whereas if someone's you know I don't want people to feel awful either when they because if you let it go on for so long and then you say it to them it's almost then the the embarrassment and mortification from that from their side can be like I can't believe that I've been saying this and she's gone through this and I've been doing it for months and months and months and their frustration will be I just wish she'd said something and so if you can just think that people are wishing that you would just say something um I think it it helps maybe set a boundary before a more firm boundary that could potentially actually affect a relationship more drastically uh, needs to be set so I think that we've mm. just got to we've we've got to find our our safe level of sharing um to protect ourselves going forward and also for other people just to be kept in the loop like they might not respond how you want them to but then that's then I think you've got leverage to to say actually I've, I've really I've really already told you this and so now I'm gonna have mm. to restrict it but if they don't know then sometimes they haven't got any idea that what they are saying is impacting you in that way and so there's mm. that's a bit of a a tool for the old toolkit it's the art of being able to there's two things reaffirm boundaries because a lot of people will set a boundary and then be like well but why is nobody respecting it it's like well it's because it's a new thing they're not used to respecting your boundary because it's new to them they've got to learn just as you've got to learn but also being able to set a boundary without having to over explain yourself and over apologize for the act of it and it's yeah I think they're, they're just really key things that you've just highlighted there so what I like to do at the end of the podcast when I can is just ask everybody that comes on 
if you could leave a message in the echoes, any message at all, it can be related to this or not, something that might be on your heart or something that is related to what you're talking about today, what would it be? Um, I, the good thing about this podcast being new is that I never actually tell my guests something to say like that I'm going to do this because I think sometimes having an authentic response is the best response because then we aren't tempted to overthink the perfect thing to say yeah that would be me (laughs) (laughs) um I think it would be a reflection really um to ask yourself when was it the last time your gut instinct was wrong when was it the last time that when your whole body was telling you that something was a certain way that it got it wrong when was it that you decided that your trust and validation needed to come from something other than the vessel that is literally got you to this place today I think that we've all got the answers in ourselves and I think that sometimes to look forward we have to look back and we have to just see all of those things that we thought that weren't going to work out that did and take that forward with us but when we're having moments of is this the right thing to say or is this going to make that person happy or whatever it is I just think if we look at all of the times that our body was screaming at us sometimes to listen how often was it really that we shouldn't have and most of the time it's pretty bang on so it's it's about not pleasing yourself but trusting yourself you can't like everybody and not everyone can like you you can't please everybody no matter how hard you try so just trust trust in what your body's telling you and um stay true stay true to those thoughts no matter what the response it's a them thing not a you thing i love it thank you so much for coming on today and i'm going to put all of your stuff in the show notes so if people are really interested to get to know you better there is so much more to kate than (laughs) an hour can put into play there is honestly so much we could have talked about and the stuff that you share and who you are as a person is just something that I think everybody needs in their life. So go and follow Kate on Instagram. And if you can just get involved in those wonderful community events as well, because again, I think we need more community. We need more people supporting people and people loving people. Oh yeah. Um, even, you know, that's, that's definitely what we need more of in the world. So thank you so much again. No, thank you so time. much. We are living in such a disconnected world, aren't we? But everybody is welcome. Uh, so please do come and say hello. I love, I've just said, don't slip into my inbox at three in the morning, but do slip into my inbox at three in the morning. It's to say hello. So <laughs> thank you for hosting this, Emily. And also for all of the wonderful things that you're doing as well. And all of the fantastic echoes that you're spreading spreading out across the world we love it we're here for it i'm yeah more please keep it going (laughs) i hope that you enjoyed this episode i think that there were so many takeaways and i'm really honored that kate came on and shared some of her wisdom as always please don't forget to 
like this podcast, subscribe, share it with somebody that you think might benefit from this conversation. And I can be found on Instagram at We Are Mind Body. So if you've got any thoughts or anything you want to share, then head over, give me a follow and send me a message. I can't wait to see you again on the Echoes and I hope wherever you are that you're having a wonderful day.